So today we're going to continue our series looking at the whole aspect of true and proper worship. I've really been blessed over the last couple of weeks and um, by the different topics we've been looking at concerning true and proper worship. I think Martin brought a fantastic sermon to us when we looked at the aspect of sang worship, how we're intentional and prepared before God and when we come to him in worship. Um, I spoke a few weeks back about and the cost of following Jesus, where we're basically giving our lives as a sacrifice to God. And Seva brought such a challenging sermon to us when he spoke about Sabbath. And last week, we also spoke about the whole aspect of solitude, which was so vital for us to hear. Um, but today, I'm going to focus around the aspect of prayer and particularly on what happens when we come together as believers to pray. We know that prayer is the way that we communicate to God. So prayer is a form of worship and a very important part of worship. All through the New Testament, we see countless times where Jesus and the Apostle Paul and some of the other early church leaders urges Christians to come together to pray. But today I'm going to be focusing on Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 23 to 31. And we see that the early church, they prayed in the midst of challenges and opposition. And I think there's so much we can learn from the way these believers prayed. I think sometimes as a church, it is easier to come together to pray when things are going well for the church, when things are relatively okay in our world. I think, think there is a time like that. But we seem to come together and I find it easier to pray to God when things are going well within our church, within our lives. But how do we pray and do we pray when things are very challenging, when things are difficult? And today we're going to hear a ex beautiful model of the early church. They came together to pray when things were challenging. And when I was thinking about this sermon, there was a few questions that popped into my mind concerning the challenges that we face in our world and the challenges that I believe we will face in the future as a church. Some of these questions were like this. What do we do when the church is under attack, when it's opposition against the church? What do we do when the gospel is under attack? What do we do when we feel like the church is losing its power, it's losing its influence? What do we do when the church is losing its confidence? The church is losing the confidence as a church. What do we do when the churches are facing challenges? I think we need to be real and think about these questions as a church because let's be real. The church will face challenges. The church has always faced challenges from the moment it began in the book of Acts. We see that there were clear oppositions against the church. And these oppositions are likely to come in the future. Why is this opposition against the church? Why is the church under attack in so many places around the world? Why is this happening? It's because the world hasn't fully embraced the church. Let's not deceive ourselves and think that our world, our sinful world, embraces the church of Jesus because it doesn't. We may think that the world embraces us because oftentimes when there's challenges in our community, the church is always called to go and help. Think about it. When there's issues of homelessness in our community, who gets called to go and help? It's the church and the church goes and helps in various different ways. When there's issues of homelessness, who gets called to help? It's the church. When there's issues 
in different places in our community. Let's say there's a challenging estate in our community and the government have no idea what to do uh, with this particular estate. Who gets called to go and help? It's the church. And we get given funding to go and help in these particular ways. When there's lack of community interest, when there's lack of community groups, who gets asked to open up their buildings and facilitate in different ways? It's the church. But let's be real. That's not all that we're known for as a church. That's not what sets us apart as a church. But this seems to be the part that the world seems to embrace. The nice and beautiful things that we do in our community. The way we help our community. The way we help the poor. The way we help the homeless. This is the part that the world is willing to accept and willing to embrace. But that's not what sets us apart as a church. The most important aspect of a church is that we are people that come together to worship Jesus and seek to make him known. That's what sets us apart from any other charity, from any other organization. This is what sets us apart as a church. Because let's be real, there can be hundreds and, and different community groups that can come together who are not Christians, who can do amazing things in our world, who can help the homeless, who can help the poor. And there are many, many charities that are doing this in a very powerful way. But they're not called a church. What sets, up, sets us apart as a church is that we are people that believe in Jesus. We worship him and seek to make him known. But unfortunately, this is a side of the church that the world does not embrace. This is the part of the world. This is the part that the world seems to reject about the church. The church is always attacked by what we believe. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, his teachings. Think about it for a moment. Imagine there was this thing called church, but it wasn't focused around Jesus. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It was just a, a group of people that came together, that sang some nice songs, did a lot of community social action projects, helped the homeless, helped the poor, never spoke about Jesus, never communicate Jesus. I'm telling you, the world will fully embrace the church. The world will fully embrace the church. But of course, the church will not be transforming people in the likeness of Jesus. Do we think if the early church in the book of Acts did church the way I described as a church that doesn't speak, around, speak about Jesus or doesn't focus its everything around Jesus, do you think that the early church or the religious leaders will have any problems with the church? I don't believe so. I believe they would even join the church themselves. This is great. Community of people who are doing great things in the community. They sing nice songs. Brilliant. But we know that that wasn't the case. The early church was consistently attacked because of what it believed. Because it was a group of people that believed in Jesus. They worshipped him and they sought to make him known. They always sought to make Jesus known. This is what sets us apart as a church. And this is why I asked the questions in the beginning. What do we do when the church is facing opposition, when the church is under attack? What do we do when the gospel is under attack? What do we do when we feel like the church is losing its power? What do we do when we feel like the church is losing its confidence? What do we do when the churches are facing challenges? These questions are important because if we don't know the answers to these questions, when we're being attacked, when we're facing opposition as a church, then we are going to be in big trouble. 
we won't be able to stand if we have no idea what to do when we are facing opposition, when we are facing challenges. And it's likely that the world will break in and redefine what church actually is. But we see in Acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 31 that the church knew exactly what to do when they were facing challenges, when they were facing opposition from very powerful people. The church knew that all they could do at this particular moment was to come together as believers and to pray to God. This was the foundation of why the church stood in such deep opposition and persecution because they came together and they prayed to God. Looking at this passage in Acts chapter 4, just to give us a bit of context. Um, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they had healed, they healed a lame beggar. Someone who was at the gate of beautiful, the temple gates. They come and they say, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk. And this man who's never walked in his life is now walking. Amazing miracle that Peter and John had displayed. And because of this, many Jewish people, of course, who were worshipping at the temple, came around to see what had happened. And Peter and John saw this as a beautiful opportunity for them to preach the gospel. So they go hard on to it. They preach about Jesus. They preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the religious leaders are hearing all of this, what's happening, and they come and it's interesting because the religious leaders don't really care that this lame beggar who hasn't walked for 40 years is now walking. Someone who they saw every day at the temple gates, crippled and begging, he's now walking. They didn't care about that. They were more angry and concerned that Peter and John were preaching about Jesus. So Peter and John are now arrested because they were preaching Jesus and his resurrection. This is the first time that the church is now facing opposition. They, bring, they then bring Peter and John uh, to the council at that particular time. And they're basically told, you can go, but just don't preach Jesus. In other words, you can go and do this thing called church, but just keep it between yourselves. Don't bring the message out. Don't speak about Jesus. Leave it in your churches. This, is what, this was their charge. But Peter and John understood that this is the essence of what makes church a church. Is that we are seeking to make Jesus known. So Peter stands up and he says some real powerful words to these religious leaders. When they tell him and when they tell both of them that they can't go and preach the gospel. Peter replies in verses 19 and he says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Powerful words. It was from that moment that Peter and John understood that persecution is coming their way. Opposition is coming their way. But instead of running away and hiding, instead of listening to the council, Instead of keeping their message quiet, instead of toning down their preaching, they went, as soon as they were released, they went to the Christians, to the church. They told them everything that had happened. And the church's response was, let us pray to God for boldness so that we can speak more about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When the religious leaders are commanding you not to speak about Jesus, they came together and they prayed to God in the midst of opposition, to give them boldness so that they can speak more about Jesus. 
they came together and prayed. The early church knew exactly what to do when they were facing challenges. And it's a beautiful prayer that they prayed together. It seems like they're all in one accord at this particular time. But I want to just read the prayer again. And I think there's some key things that we can learn from these prayers that the early church prayed together. So this is the prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and why did the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and, the, and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your, and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Goodness me, this, this is some real powerful prayers from the early church. And I think there's three things that we can really take away and apply to our lives through this particular prayer. And the first thing is this the early church understood that god was in control they referred to god as the sovereign lord the one who has the ultimate power and ultimate control they approach god knowing that he is truly the one that's in charge yes the religious leaders were powerful yes they had influence but they understood that God was truly in charge. He was the one that had ultimate power, the one that created all things and the one that gave them the commission to go and be his witnesses. They understood that God was in control. See, when we're facing challenges as a church, it's always important for us to remind ourselves of the God that we worship. And this is, this is again, how we worship in spirit and in truth. Reminding ourselves of who God is. We serve a God who is not on mute. We don't worship a God that has no control. We don't worship a God that has no idea what he's doing. We don't worship a God that's intimidated by our world leaders or our world events. But we worship a God that is sovereign. A God who has ultimate power. And the early church, they came together praying and believing that God was in charge. And because of this, they demonstrated what they believed by continuing to preach about Jesus. Because they understood that if God is all powerful, then they knew that God can work in the midst of the challenges that they're facing. They knew that if God is all powerful, that even if they face opposition, God's plan will still succeed. God will still win at the end. Why? Because God is sovereign. So their job was to do what the sovereign Lord had commanded. You know, when I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about some questions for us as a church. Some questions that I had to ask myself first. Do we as a church truly believe that God is all powerful when we come together and pray? Do we really believe that God is all powerful? Or do we just say those words because it sounds nice? Or maybe we've heard other people say those words before, so we say those words too. 
I remember when I was growing up, my mum used to pray a lot. And I remember just listening to her prayers and thinking, those are really nice words. And I copied her prayers and I used to say those same prayers without really understanding what I was saying. And at times we can learn prayers from other people, but not really understand what we're actually saying. Or do we say those words that God is sovereign, but still doubt in our hearts? See, I believe that God wants to take us to a place as a church where we pray together, believing that he is in charge, believing that he is all powerful, and then begin to demonstrate what we believe about God. What does this look like for SBC? This means in the next couple of months or the next couple of years, SBC being a church that takes big risks. And I'm not talking about ungodly risk or unwise risk, but I'm talking about godly risk where we begin to invest our time our money our energy into what we believe will advance the kingdom of god in our community we will pray about it but we will demonstrate what we believe by taking big risks because we understand that we are praying to a god who's all powerful we are praying to a god who is sovereign we are praying to a god who has commissioned us to go and make his name known the second thing we can learn from their prayer is that they looked to the word of God for inspiration. And this is something that I do sometimes, and I know many of us do today. When we're going through challenges or we know of other people who are going through challenges, we send them scriptures. We send them Bible verses that would hopefully encourage them because we know that the word of God is filled with so much inspiration and so much encouragement. Scriptures like Philippians 4 Verses 13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or scriptures like Romans 8, 31, which says, then what shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's interesting that right after the early church prayed together, when they were praying about God's sovereignty, they found a scripture to encourage them, to inspire them. A scripture that I wouldn't pick for myself for encouragement. And this, picture, and this verse that they give, and particularly in verses 35, is why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This was the passage that the early church picked to encourage them, to inspire them. A, a message pointing uh, to the suffering of Jesus that was prophesied by King David. This was the passage that inspired them. See, I believe they picked this passage because it shows that despite the challenges that Jesus went through by all these powerful people of Herod and Pontius Pilate, despite the opposition that he faced, Jesus' plan still succeeded. His plan of saving the world and redeeming people back to himself still succeeded despite the challenges. And they understood that if God can do the same with Jesus, if God did that for Jesus, he can do the same for them. And I thought this was beautiful. I think it's wonderful when we come together to pray and remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done through the scriptures. This is again how we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's important that we have a right understanding of who God is when we pray. 
So when we come together and we have a right understanding of who God is through the word of God, when we pray, we won't be praying weird and mystical things about God that don't resemble his character or resemble what he's done. But we'll be praying in spirit and in truth. And lastly, they prayed for what they felt they were lacking, which was boldness. In verses 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see, we know we're not a perfect church. There is no perfect church. If there is one, please do let me know and I'm planning to join that church right away. But there is no perfect church. But just because we recognize we're not a perfect church doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want us to be better. Jesus wants us to be better. A church that pleases him. Yes, we recognize we're not a perfect church because we are not perfect people. But Jesus still requires better from us. And as a church, we may feel like we're lacking in several things. And when I'm talking about lacking, I'm not talking about material things like good equipment and a beautiful church building or lack of resources. When I talk about lacking, I'm talking about lacking the fundamental things that make us flourish as a church. And I think in a worldwide church, there are many churches um, that are particularly are not a praying church or an evangelistic church or a given church or a radical church or a discipleship church. And if you put all of these things under one category, it's a church that lacks boldness. A church that lacks boldness. That's one of the things that I pray that sells and Baptist church we don't lack. We don't lack in our boldness for Jesus. Yes, we may lack resources or lack other things, material things, but I pray that we don't lack boldness. Because if we lack boldness, then we won't pray together as a church. We'll never come together and pray together. If we lack boldness as a church, then we won't be an evangelistic church. People won't have any ambitions to share their faith with others. If we lack boldness, we won't be a radical church. So it makes sense why the early church prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. And because of their boldness, they became a radical church. But let's not be a church that's so discouraged about what we are lacking. But let's come together and identify what we are lacking and then pray to God to fill us up with boldness. Let's not be a church that's discouraged by the things we don't have. But let's come together, identify these things and pray to God to fill us up with boldness. A few closing words I want to give us all. One of the things I want to remind every single person as a church today, as SBC, is that when we pray to God, don't forget that God answers, that God speaks back. And that's an aspect we fail to recognize when we pray to God, that God, he speaks, he answers our prayers when we come together. And look at how God answers the early church's prayer in verses 31. And when they had prayed together, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. So there was some sort of earthquake that took place when the early church prayed together. And it seems that like that earthquake was a sign that God was listening to them. And then we see that God answers their prayer, prayers by adding more of the Holy Spirit, filling them up with more of the Holy Spirit, which gave them boldness. 
See, when we come together to pray, I don't think we need to necessarily be looking for an earthquake as a sign that God is listening to us. I don't think that will be good for our church buildings if we're having an earthquake every time we pray together. But I believe we should be looking at how the Holy Spirit is changing us when we pray together. It's interesting that the early church didn't necessarily pray that their situation would disappear or that these religious people that are persecuting them would suddenly love them. They understood that these challenges would continue, but they prayed that God would change them. They prayed for boldness, something that they felt they were lacking, that God would change in their lives. And this is how true transformation comes when we come together and pray that we change. That we change, that God would change us through the Holy Spirit. I know I've said a lot of things, but just to remind us of a few of the key things I want us to really go away and reflect on today. I believe that God wants us to be a praying church. A church that prays through challenges. A church that prays believing that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful. A church that prays with the boundaries of scriptures. A, a church that prays with a right understanding of who God is. A church that prays for the things that they are lacking. A church that prays together. Let us be encouraged by this sermon. We have this awesome opportunity right now, uh, even in the midst of lockdown, where we can pray together. And I really want to ask you and challenge you to be real intentional about your praying together with believers. Praying by yourself is great and we should be praying um, individually by ourselves all the time. But praying together is so vital. There are so many New Testament scriptures that encourage this. So let's be intentional about our prayer together. Think about how you can do this even this week or in the coming months. Maybe spending time to really pray in your home groups. And if you don't have a home groups, I would definitely challenge you uh, to find one. Maybe praying on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday morning at, at 9.30, we come together to pray. All the details are on the slides at the end of the service. We pray for the world and we pray for our church. It's a great opportunity for us to come together to pray. Maybe we can think about certain people that we can call this week, that we can pray together. Being intentional about prayer is so important. Things change when we pray together. Let's be intentional and have a, such an ambition as God's people to come together to pray.